Therefore they took them, and beat them, and besmeared them with dirt, and then put them into the cage, that they might be made a spectacle to all the men of the fair. There, therefore, they lay for some time, and were made the objects of any man's sport, or malice, or revenge. The great one of the fair laughing still at all that befell them, but the men being patient, and not rendering railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, and giving good works for bad, and kindness for injuries done. Some men in the fair that were more observing, and less prejudiced than the rest, began to check, and blame the baser sort for their continual abuses done by them to the men. They therefore, in angry manner, let fly at them again, counting them as bad as the men in the cage, and telling them that they seemed confederates, and should be made partakers of their misfortunes. The other replied, that for aught they could see, the men were quiet and sober, and intended nobody harm, and that there were many that traded in the fair that were more worthy to be put into the cage, yea, and pillory too, than were the men that they had abused. Thus, after divers' words had passed on both sides, the men behaving themselves all the while very wisely, and soberly before them, they fell to some blows among themselves, and did harm one to another. Then were these two men brought before their examiners again, and there charged as being guilty of the late hubbub that had been in the fair. So they beat them pitifully, and hanged irons upon them, and led them in chains up and down the fair, for an example and a terror to others, lest any should further speak in their behalf, or join themselves unto them. But Christian and faithful behaved themselves yet more wisely, and received the ignominy and shame that was cast upon them, with so much meekness and patience, that it won to their sight though but few in comparison of the rest, several of the men in the fair. This put the other party yet into a greater rage, insomuch that they concluded the death of these two men, wherefore they threatened that neither cage nor irons should serve their turn, but that they should die for the abuse that they had done, and for deluding the men of the fair. Then were they remanded to the cage again, until further order should be taken with them, so they put them in, and made their feet fast in the stocks. Here also they called again to mind what they had heard from their faithful friend Evangelist, and were the more confirmed in their ways and sufferings, by what he told them would happen to them. They also now comforted each other, that whose lot it was to suffer, even he should have the best on it. Therefore each man secretly wished that he might have that preferment. But committing themselves to the all-wise dispose of him that ruleth all things, with much content they abode in the condition in which they were, until they should be otherwise disposed of. Then a convenient time being appointed, they brought them forth to their trial, in order to their condemnation. When the time was come, they were brought before their enemies, and arraigned. The judge's name was Lord Hategut. Their indictment was one and the same in substance, though somewhat varying in form. The contents whereof was this. That they were enemies too, and disturbers of their trade. That they had made commotions and divisions in the town, and had won a party to their own most dangerous opinions, in contempt of the law of their prince. Then Faithful began to answer, 
that he had only set himself against that which had set itself against him, that is, higher than the highest. And, said he, as for disturbance, I make none, being myself a man of peace. The parties that were won to us were won by beholding our truth and innocence, and they are only turned from the worse to the better. And as to the king you talk of, since he is Beelzebub, the enemy of our Lord, I defy him and all his angels. Then proclamation was made that they had ought to say for their lord the king against a prisoner at the bar should forthwith appear and give in their evidence. So there came in three witnesses to wit, envy, superstition and pickthank. They were then asked if they knew the prisoner at the bar and what they had to say for their lord the king against him. Then stood forth envy and said to this effect, My lord, I have known this man a long time, and will attest upon my oath before this honourable bench that he is... Hold, give him his oath. So they swear him. Then he said, My lord, this man, notwithstanding his plausible name, is one of the vilest men in our country. He neither regardeth prince nor people, law nor custom, but doth all that he can to possess all men with certain of his disloyal notions, which he in the general calls principles of faith and holiness. And in particular, I heard him once myself affirm that Christianity and the customs of our town of vanity were diametrically opposite and could not be reconciled. By which saying, my lord, he doth at once not only condemn all our laudable doing, but us in the doing of them. Then did the judge say to him, Hast thou any more to say? My lord, I could say much more, only I would not be tedious to the court. Yet if need be, when the other gentlemen have given in their evidence, rather than anything shall be wanting that will dispatch him, I will enlarge my testimony against him. So he was bid stand by. Then they called superstition, and bid him look upon the prisoner. They also asked what he could say for the Lord, their king, against him. Then they swear him, so he began. My Lord, I have no great acquaintance with this man, nor do I desire to have further knowledge of him. However, this I know, that he is a very pestilent fellow. From some discourse that the other day I had with him in this town, for then talking with him I heard him say that our religion was naught, and such by which a man could by no means please God. Which saying of his, my lord, your lordship very well knows what necessarily thence will follow, to wit, that we will still do worship in vain, and yet in our sins, and finally, and finally shall be damned. And this is that which I have to say. Then was Pick thanks sworn, and bid say what he knew in the behalf of their lord the king against a prisoner at the bar. My lord, and you gentlemen all, this fellow I have known of a long time, and have heard him speak things that ought not to be spoke. For he hath railed on our noble prince Beelzebub, and hath spoke contemptibly of his honourable friends, whose names are the Lord Old Man, the Lord Carnal Delight, the Lord Luxurious, the Lord Desire of Vain Glory, my old Lord Lechery, 
Sir Having Greedy, with all the rest of our nobility, and he hath said, moreover, that if all men were of his mind, if possible, there is not one of these noblemen should have any longer a being in this town. Besides, he hath not been afraid to rail on you, my lord, who are now appointed to be his judge, calling you an ungodly villain, with many other such like vilifying terms, with which he hath bespattered most of the gentry of our town. When this pickthank had told his tale, the judge directed his speech to the prisoner at the bar, saying, Thou renegade, heretic, and traitor, hast thou heard what these honest gentlemen have witnessed against thee? May I speak a few words in my own defence? Sirrah, sirrah, thou deservest to live no longer, but to be slain immediately upon the place. Yet that all men may see our gentleness towards thee, let us see what thou hast to say. Firstly, I say then, in answer to what Mr. Envy hath spoken, I never said aught but this, that what rule, or laws, or custom, or people were flat against the word of God are diametrically opposite to Christianity. If I have said amiss in this, convince me of my error, and I am ready here before you to make my recantation. As to the second, to wit, Mr. Superstition, and his charge against me, I said only this, that in the worship of God there is required a divine faith. But there can be no divine faith without a divine revelation of the will of God. Therefore, whatever is thrust into the worship of God that is not agreeable to divine revelation cannot be done but by an human life which faith will not profit to eternal life. As to what Mr. Pickthank hath said, I say, avoiding terms, as that I am said to rail and the like, that the prince of this town, with all the rabblement his attendants by this gentleman named, are more fit for being in hell than in this town and country, and so the Lord have mercy upon me. Then the judge called to the jury, who all this while stood by to hear and observe, Gentlemen of the jury, you see this man about whom so great an uproar hath been made in this town. You have also heard what these worthy gentlemen have witnessed against him. Also you have heard his reply and confession. It lieth now in your breast to hang him or save his life. But yet I think meet to instruct you into our law. There was an act made in the days of Pharaoh the Great, servant to our prince, that lest those of a contrary religion should multiply and grow too strong for him, their males should be thrown into the river. There was also an act made in the days of Nebuchadnezzar the Great, another of his servants, that whoever would not fall down and worship his golden image should be thrown into a fiery furnace. There was also another act made in the days of Darius, that whoso for some time called upon any god but him should be cast into the lion's den. Now the substance of these laws this rebel has broken, not only in thought, which is not to be borne, but also in word and deed, which must therefore needs be intolerable. For that of Pharaoh, his law was made upon a superstition to prevent mischief, no crime being it apparent. But here is a crime apparent. 
for the second and third. You see, he disputeth against our religion, and for the treason he hath confessed, he deserveth to die the death. Then went the jury out, whose names were Mr. Blindman, Mr. No Good, Mr. Malice, Mr. Love Lust, Mr. Live Loose, Mr. Heady, Mr. High Mind, Mr. Enmity, Mr. Liar, Mr. Cruelty, Mr. Hate Light, and Mr. Implacable, who every one gave in his private verdict against him among themselves, and afterwards unanimously concluded to bring him in guilty before the judge. And first among themselves, Mr. Blindman, the foreman, said, I, I see clearly that this man is an heretic. Then said Mr. No Good, away with such a fellow from the earth. Aye, said Mr. Malice, for I hate the very looks of him. Then said Mr. Lovelust, I could never endure him. Nor I, said Mr. Livelous, for he would always be condemning my way. Hang him, hang him, said Mr. Heady. A sorry scrub, said Mr. Highmind. My heart riseth against him, said Mr. Enmity. He is a rogue, said Mr. Liar. Hang is too good for him, said Mr. Cruelty. Let's dispatch him out of the way, said Mr. Hatelight. Then said Mr. Implacable, Might I have all the world given me? I could not be reconciled to him. Therefore let us forthwith bring him in guilty of death. And so they did. Therefore he was presently condemned to be had from the place where he was, to the place from whence he came, and there to be put to the most cruel death that could be invented. They therefore brought him out to do with him according to their law, and first they scourged him, then they buffeted him, then they lanced his flesh with knives, after that they stoned him with stones, then pricked him with their swords, and last of all they burnt him to ashes at the stake. Thus came faithful, to his end. Now I saw that there stood behind the multitude a chariot and a couple of horses waiting for Faithful, who, so soon as his adversaries had dispatched him, was taken up into it, and straightway was carried up through the clouds with sound of trumpet, the nearest way to the celestial gate. But as for Christian, he had some respite, and was remanded back to prison, so he there remained for a space. But he did overrules all things, having the power of their rage in his own hand, so wrought it about that a Christian for that time escaped them and went his way. And as he went, he sang, saying, Well, faithful, thou hast faithfully professed unto thy Lord, with him thou shalt be blessed, when faithless ones with all their vain delights are crying out under their hellish plights, Sing, faithful, sing, and let thy name survive. For though they killed thee, thou art yet alive. Now I saw in my dream that Christian went not forth alone, for there was one whose name was Hopeful, being made so by the beholding of Christian and faithful in their words and behaviour in their sufferings at the fair, who joined himself unto him, and entering into a brotherly covenant, told him that he would be his companion. Thus one died to make testimony to the truth, and another rises out of his ashes to be a companion with Christian in his pilgrimage. This hopeful also told Christian that there were many more of the men in the fair that would take their time and follow after. So I saw that quickly, after they were got out of the fair, they overtook one that was going before them, whose name was Byens. So they came to him. What countryman, sir, and how far you go this way? He told them that he had come from the town of Fair Speech, 
and he was going to the celestial city, but told them not his name. From fair speech, said Christian, is there any good that lives there? Yes, said Byens, I hope. Pray, sir, what may I call you? I am a stranger to you, and you to me. If you be going this way, I shall be glad of your company. If not, I must be content. This town of fair speech, said Christian, I have heard of it, and as I remember, they say it's a wealthy place. Yes, I, I will assure you that it is, and I have very many rich kindred there. Pray, who are your kindred, if a man may be so bold? Almost the whole town, and in particular my lord Turnabout, my lord Time Server, my lord Fair Speech, from whose ancestors that town first took its name, also Mr. Smoothman, Mr. Facing Both Ways, Mr. Anything, and the parson of our parish, Mr. Two Tongues, was my mother's own brother by father's side. And to tell you the truth, I am become a gentleman of good quality, yet by my great-grandfather was but a waterman looking one way and rowing another, and I got most of my estate by the same occupation. Are you a married man? Yes, and my wife is a very virtuous woman, the daughter of a virtuous woman, and she was my lady feigning's daughter. Therefore she came of a very honourable family, and is arrived to such a pitch of breeding that she knows how to carry it to all, even to prince and peasant. Tis true, we somewhat differ in religion from those of the stricter sort, yet but in two small points. First, we never strive against wind and tide. Secondly, we are always most zealous when religion goes in his silver slippers. We love much to walk with him in the street if the sun shines and the people applaud him. In no time at all, Christian and Pilgrim are required to let their light shine in the town called Vanity. As they receive requests to buy the merchandise from this fair, they famously reply, We buy the truth. Because of this, they were further despised and mocked. A great stir among the people soon followed. Because of this, word was brought to the great one of the fair, and he required the examination of these two men. It is at this stage in Bunyan's story that we not only see the biblical truth that the world is a hostile place for the Christian, but also we see glimpses of John Bunyan's own persecution and imprisonment. Both men were beaten, reviled, laughed and put at last into a cage. We are reminded that despite this they did not uh, render evil for evil, instead they had good words for bad and kindness for injuries which were done. In this the Christian is reminded that at all times we must follow our master and imitate him. Our Lord Jesus, when he was reviled, did not throw the same back again, but rather instead committed his way to God, who always judges righteously. The spiritual maturity and likeness of Christ is clearly seen in these two pilgrims, as they now face persecution and false accusation. In one of Bunyan's classic parts of this book, he then takes the reader to the base trial and unjust condemnation of these two men, which then led to the two faithful's death. At the trial, the judge, Lord Hategood, was seated and three false witnesses appear. Their names testify to who they are, and in their witness they either accuse falsely or misapply facts. Such characters remind us of accusations which will always surround us as believers. However, like these two men, we must not allow any accusation to be true of us other than we are Christians, 
and to suffer only because of him that is our saviour. The jury which came to the conclusion of guilty were comprised of men such as Mr. Blindman, Mr. Hateslight and Mr. Livelous. Each of these men speak, albeit briefly, but enough to show that as their name and their heart was, so they acted and so they behaved. Faithful has already given his defence at this stage. Christian has not and never actually gets to that place, but Faithful remaining true to his name, but most importantly true to the Lord, stands firm. Previously both he and Christian have encouraged each other, and so Faithful, while correcting false accusations, does not shun from the truth and will not deny the Lord of the celestial city. He meets with a grim death, but is immediately taken into the presence of the Lord of that same city. According to God's providence, Christian manages to escape, and although Faithful has been promoted to glory, yet the Lord brings another alongside him, Hopeful, a man who, through the testimony of these two pilgrims in Vanity Fair, has joined the pathway to the celestial city. How good God is in providing fellowship just when we need it. How blessed, dear Christian, is a faithful and true testimony. <laughs>